0: for some women to become angry, hostile, and frustrated with the words found in Titus chapter 2. Many people already have a precondition in their minds of what the role of the women are. There is no such thing as, here is my sacred life. And here is my secular life. So the older, godly women in the church have an obligation to come alongside the young ones, to help them to become sovereign, to help self-control, to be wise. Amen. It's a joy to be with you. I We missed each one of you deeply these last two weeks. I want to thank our brother Joseph for preaching the word faithfully, boldly. You did a wonderful job, Joseph. It's a wonderful thing to be in a church where you know the the man we will take over and proclaim the the scriptures. I also thank Ben and Emily and Abby for leading the music. Thank you so much for the faithful labor. And thank you all for your loving kindness and support and prayers and affections towards me and my family. We love you. It's a great joy to be with you. I want to welcome those who are visiting us. Be welcome. It's a great joy to be with you. I want to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Titus, Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2, let us read, Uh, those who can, I want to ask you to stand, let us read verses 1 through 10, here is the word of the Lord, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger man to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, have nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything, they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. You may be seated, and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in the sight of our Lord God. Uh, it was about, I think, November, I was listening to the briefing from Albert Moeller, and he was going through some new statistics and research that was coming out, and Moeller, he said the following, and I think it's important for the context of what we are studying here in Titus. He said, let this data point sink, sink in deep with you. It comes down to this, the more wealthy or the wealthier a man is, the more likely he is to be married. The more wealthy a woman is, the less likely she is to be married. Accordingly, the more wealthy a man is, the more likely he is to be a father. And he continues, the more wealthy a woman is, the less likely she is to be a mother. Now, for Christians, there could hardly be a more significant set of statistics than this because we understand that the family is the center of human civilization. Marriage and the family are the foundations of the entire culture. He's talking about the, the great increase of women pursuing the careers and forsaking marriage and the home. And he goes on to say, he says, Betty Friedman, second wave feminist back in the 60s, said that the home is a domestic concentration camp for women. Women are now liberated from the concentration camp of the home that go into the workplace where supposedly they're fully liberated. And sadly, sadly many women, even inside the church, have bought into this idea that the home is a domestic concentration camp. You might feel like sometimes, especially kids around, but it's actually a lovely place. We're going to see next Lord's Day the... Actually, Karl Marx and Frederick Engels, especially Frederick Engels with Socialism and Communism, was very emphatic about the women leaving the home and actually belonging to the state. So as I said, many women, just like in Crete, sadly have been buying these lies of our culture. And because many professing Christians have bought into the lies of Satan and our cultural lies that have been spreading about God's given roles for women, it's very tempting for some women to become angry, hostile, and frustrated with the words found in Titus chapter 2. I remember Pastor Anthony Kidd speaking of the black box warning. And you know when you buy a medicine, if you, you... there is a black box warning. The drug you're buying, uh, maybe antibiotics, whatever it is, there is a black box warning. And the black box warning is meant to draw attention to a medication serious or life-threatening side effects or risks. So the drug that you're taking is good for you. It's good to kill the bacteria, the infection. But that same drug can bring terrible side effects into your body because of some pre-existing conditions in your body. So this text in in Titus 2 reminds us of this black box warning. Many people already have a precondition in their minds of what the role of the women are. And when they have the good medicine of God's word, they can react in different ways. And I remember Anthony Kidd, he talks about the different reactions that it can cause in the body. And he talks about secularitis. Secularitis is the disease of the secular mindset. Secularitis is that some Christians will see that there is no difference between men and women. The secular idea is that Family, marriage, their creation of man. Therefore, man has the freedom to change and mold it. So, let us be careful with secularitis. There is another one that he talks about as a side effect, and that there is, there is pragmatitis. Pragmatitis. Pragmatism. This pre-existing condition says that whatever works for you is the best. So if you're doing something that works for you, it doesn't matter of what God says, it matters what's working for you. First, if the Word of God tells you to live in a way that's different from how you're living, and it does not bring the same outcome that you want, then you just ignore the Word of God. And the last one that he talks about is the subjectivitis. Subjectivitis. Everything's subject. Everything subject to your feelings. Your feelings and experience determ- determine what is true. That's our society. So, w- sometimes we, we carry th- within us this pre-existing condition that we were so consumed by the world's ideas and philosophies and lies, that when the good medicine of God's word comes, we can react. So my prayer is that the good medicine of God's word will not make you angry, but instead that we all will find joy in God's revelation. Amen? So here's the outline. We're going to continue. We have been walking through these verses slowly, and that's because I want to go slowly here. I I think I have seen some sermons, I have seen some series where pastors preach one sermon, in the whole section of chapter 2, maybe two sermons. And honestly, the church in America is the way it is because we have not been taking time to deal with the hard passages of the scriptures. And a lot of pastors, when they come to texts like this, they want to just fly over it to not offend anybody. And we have been walking slowly because we want to be a healthy church. And that's exactly what Paul Under the inspiration of Christ says for us what it means to be a healthy church. So we are going slowly, we're chewing slowly, swallowing and letting it digest this section. Amen? That's why we're taking time. I told the girls that I was going to do just part of verse 5. And they said, wow, Daddy, just part of verse (laughs) 5? Yes. Hopefully next Sunday we can get verse 5 and verse 6. But there's so much here for all of us. And sadly, the state of the American church is because we have been ignoring the truth of God's word and instead embracing lies. So we are in part four, and that is the call to younger women to live healthy lives, healthy, beautiful, Christ-centered lives. And we read in verses four through five, That the older women, the older godly women in the church, they are to train, to wise up, to mentor, to help, to come alongside the younger ones and help them to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, holy. And all these things are flowing from chapter 1, verse 5. Do remember Paul's purpose in leaving Titus in Crete was so that he would put the church in order? And that's what this is. This is a picture of what an orderly, a beautiful, a godly church looks like. And remember also that all these verses from 1 to 10, verses 1 through 10, is the fruit of verses 11 through 14. Paul is commanding us to be like that because the grace of Christ has invaded our lives and has enabled us to be like that. Amen? We are not doing that to gain favor. We are doing that because God's favor has invaded our lives. So, we know that, just to refresh our minds here, verses 4 and 5, Paul is painting a portrait of what a beautiful, godly woman looks like. And Paul has four strokes here as he's painting this portrait for L's, And you remember, first is the young godly women are supposed to be learners. They're supposed to be lovers. They're supposed to be lovely. And they're supposed to be laborers. So just to refresh, we saw that the younger women, they must be learners. So the older women are supposed to train the younger women to walk in godliness. And the only way for the older women to train the younger women to be godly is if the younger women are what humble and open to learn. You cannot teach someone who is unwilling to learn. So the first portrait of a godly person of a godly woman, a godly man is humility to learn. And then we saw also the not only learners but lovers. And that the younger women in the church, they must learn how to love their husbands and children. (sighs) They don't need to learn how to love. Yes, we need to learn how to love God's ways. Amen? Sin has affected even our way of loving others. So we saw there, let's skip, let's move on. So not only learners, lovers, but also lovely and that's where we are going to pick up where we stop. They must be lovely. And that's verse 5. The Lord wants the younger women in the church to be lovely by how they behave. And this lovely behavior is marked by a life of self-mastery, self-control, holiness, godliness. What does it mean to be lovely? What does it mean to be lovely? So, aren't you the dictionary too. To get the definition, the Merriam-Webster says "lovely" defines "lovely" as "delightful for beauty, delightful for harmony, delightful for grace, attractive, eliciting love by moral or ideal worth." So, a godly woman is lovely, delightful for beauty, by being self-controlled, full of purity, virtuous. Not in a sensual, not in a worldly, not in a sexual way, but in a Christ-centered, in a gospel way. They're going to be lovely. Amen? And the first aspect of a lovely woman in Christ is self-control. Look at that. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled. We're going to talk more about this word we have seen. That's one of the key words in the book of Titus. Paul used this word in chapter 1, verse 8, chapter 2, verse 2, chapter 2, verse 5, chapter 2, verse 6, chapter 2, verse 12. And the Cretan, the the culture in Crete, was marked by lack of self-control, just like the culture in America. Lack of self-control. So it's a key aspect of a godly life is to be actually governed with self-control. The Greek word sophron speaks of self-government. Pertaining to be, I have here, pertaining to being in control of oneself. The word actually derives from Sophia, wisdom. It speaks of a wise person. And we often excuse young people as if it was okay for young people to be foolish. But the Bible calls the young people to be self-controlled, to be wise. It's the self-mastery of the body, by the self-mastery of the mind as the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because one of the fruits of the Spirit is what? Self-control. It's a life marked by the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Paul is calling, Paul is calling the younger women to be under the yoke, under the control of Jesus Christ. Instead of being under the control of the culture and the sinful society, they must come under the control of the Holy Spirit, under the control of the Word. And especially women in particular, think about how many women, they're prone they're prone to be governed by emotions and feelings. In light of all that God has for the women to do and, uh, uh, and be, it's impossible for you to be living a life governed by your feelings. There are and there will be many days and occasions that the feelings will tell you to stop, to stay in bed, to go shopping, to be distracted and other things. Amen? That's what feelings are going to tell you to do. And you cannot be governed by feelings. You must be governed, self-controlled by the Spirit and the Word of God. Doriani and Phillips, they say, let's see if I have here. The demands of marriage and motherhood require young women to become sensible sooner rather than later. Amen. (laughs) And the training of older women is just the solution. How we need the older women in the church to help them. So it's an ugly thing when people lack self-control. It becomes an even uglier thing when you have kids under your domain. So the damage and the harm of lacking self-control multiply when you have a family, when you have a husband and children. It's one thing for you to lack self-control and live by yourself. It's already ugly, but adds that to a husband and kids under your care. So let me ask the women, are you growing self-control? Do you have self-mastery over the credit card? Do you have self-control in relation to the use of phone and social media? Are you marked by self-control in relation to caring for your body, not the extremes? How about sleep? What time do you go to bed? What time do you wake up? Can you tell other women, follow me as I follow Christ in the area of self-control? So the older godly women in the church have an obligation to come alongside the young ones to help them to become Suffering, to have self control, to be wise. Amen? And it's a beautiful thing when a church is full of women, young women, who are marked by self control. Not only self control, but also purity. Another aspect of being lovely is to be pure. Look at that. To be self control and pure. And purity is a consequence of self control. If you have self-control, you will be pure. You're going to be holy. You're going to be consecrated to the Lord. James, in James chapter 3, he says that the wisdom from above is first of all uh, full of purity. Wisdom that's related to self-control leads to purity, holiness. The word used by Paul here, Hagnos, was used in the Old Testament in relation to things and people that were consecrated to the Lord. We saw that the older ladies were supposed to be to have a behavior of priestesses. Do you remember that? That the, the word that Paul used for the older women is that they're supposed to be priestesses. Their behavior, the same thing here. The younger women also are supposed to be consecrated to the Lord. be mindful that they are priestesses of Jesus Christ. We are kingdom of priests. And this purity is going to affect all areas of a woman's life. And all days, not just Sunday, because it's easy for you to be holy on Sundays, Sunday morning. But purity is going to affect all the days and all the areas of your life. There is no such thing as, here is my sacred life, and here is my secular life. Here's how I live when you're doing church things, and here's how I live when almost, uh, outside the context of church. No. The closet, the wardrobe, the social media, the moments that no one sees, the private and the public activities must all be adorned with purity, consecrated to the Lord. Amen. I like what uh, Dorian and Phillips, they, write, they say, the young women must also practice purity, which pertains to their actions, their speech, their dress, and ultimately their hearts. Not only will purity guard their marriage and inspire the children, but here's the ultimate reason. It will honor the heart of their holy and loving heavenly Father. Think about how some women are saved from the culture. Think about Crete, the immodest culture. And some women are saved out of their culture, and they need the help of the older godly women to come alongside and remind them that even their wardrobe belongs to that old lifestyle. There must be a change here. You look at our culture and see that the women are encouraged to wear more and more inappropriate things. And the older godly women in the church, they have a Christ-given duty to come alongside and with gentleness and love help the younger ones. Because I have seen older women Come alongside, but without gentleness and love. No, with gentleness and love. Help the younger ones. And I'm going to tell you that faithful pastors long. They long to have these older godly women in the church that will help them shepherd the younger ones. Also, that Paul is not calling the younger women's mothers. It doesn't say that their moms must be the ones. Why? Because most of these women are getting saved and their moms are still lost. So the women in the church are going to actually behave like their moms. Precious, godly, older women in the church, you must cultivate a relationship with the younger ones to do what God is calling you to do. So I want to encourage the older, godly women in this church to cultivate a relationship with the younger ones. Call them, write to them, meet with them. So we have this relationship to speak into their lives. The consecration, the purity, will involve your time, your social media, your credit card, your, the movies that you watch, All the things we will be revealing if the Holy Spirit is bringing holiness into your life. One more. They must be laborers. They must be laborers. As we keep beholding Paul painting this portrait of a beautiful, godly, young woman, Paul says that the young women in the church must be like Christ, and Christ worked very hard. Christ was always serving, always working hard. And the young women also, very different from our culture and society, they have been encouraging young people to be lazy, We're encouraged to work hard. And let me remind you that we are dealing primarily with women who are married and they have a family to take care husband, children. And oftentimes, when you come to a text like that, where Paul tells the, the older women are supposed, are called, commanded to teach the younger ones to be self-control. Period. We're all okay here. Yes, that sounds good. But when it comes to working at home, we start getting ah, I don't like that. Submissive to their own husbands. Working at home. Then you understand the temptation for a preacher to just fly over this text. and just jump to verse 11. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation, right? And one of the problems we have also is that we always come to difficult texts in the scriptures with a thousand different excuses. So if you have a text on divorce, people come to you not listening to what the scripture says, but with. 300 types of situations. So you come to a text like that. The, the, the question that people are asking, I know, is, oh, what if the mother is a widow? What if the family is in debt? What if the, uh, the wife needs to work to help the husband? You see, all questions that the text is not addressing right here. We need to let the text speak in the whole context of the scriptures. I have heard preachers saying that this text was very applicable in the first century because women in the first century did not have washers and dryers. The, all the technology that we have today, and that's why women had to stay at home. But now, with the technology we have, women no longer need to have the home as the headquarters. So Paul says, and so train... The young women, and I have the different versions here, Bible versions. So you see how they're working to translate this word. To be working at home. Paul used one Greek word. Oiko and Orgos. It's a combination of words. We see Paul like to do that, in, in, especially in Titus. To be husband lovers, to be children lovers. And now he says to be workers at home. Oikorgos. It's a combination of Oikos, home, and Ergon, work. So the NIV says to be busy at home. The King James says keepers at home. The New Living Translation has to work in their homes. And the NAS, LSB, has workers at home. Uh, other commentators believe that homemaker is a good one. Uh, when we study, especially Paul's letters, we see, especially the, the pastoral letters, with Timothy and Titus We see that Paul is dealing with something very specific with the women. They're being attacked from within the church and from outside the church. You see how much Paul speaks about the women. And I mentioned before the the feminist movement in Rome, the, the new Roman wife. And they're being attacked by that. And Paul is dealing with this issue here and very applicable for us, because we also have been attacked by our culture. I believe that Paul is speaking of the priority of taking care of the home. He's dealing with the subject of working hard for the glory of God inside the home. It's very similar to what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 5. You can open your Bibles there. I have here 1 Timothy chapter 5. Look what Paul says. He's going to use something very similar to what he's referring to in Titus 2. He tells Timothy... But refuse to enroll, First Timothy 5, verse 11, verse 11, he says, But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their, home, their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be, and here's important to see the contrast, to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have the younger widows marry, bear children, and here he used a very interesting word, very similar to that one, and manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for his lender, for some have already strayed after Satan. The word that Paul used here is oiko despoteo, To manage the home. In Titus, workers at home, managers at home, very similar. They're going to be working in the house. And I think it's important as we try to see the whole teaching of the scriptures. We see, for example, in Proverbs 7. In Proverbs 7, when it's describing the immoral woman. It tells us that the immoral woman, her feet do not stay at home. One of the pictures of the immoral woman is that she rejects God's given role to her. So she loves to be everywhere but in her house. A godly wife, mother, will work hard and manage the home for the glory of God, while the ungodly woman avoids her God-given duties at home. So if you're studying Proverbs, you can contrast Proverbs 7 with Proverbs 31. There is a beautiful contrast. We know that it does not mean, it does not mean that women have no freedom, and are, that women are under the slavery of diapers, that women are under the slavery of the oven and pots and pans. That does not mean that. The New Testament shows many women serving the Lord in different ways. So we've got to be always careful as we're studying these scriptures. We have the example of Lydia, Priscilla. Most certainly, they did not have little ones at home. I like what Robert Yarbrough, he says, he writes, Paul is not locking women up in the kitchen and cleaning supply closet. Nothing in the New Testament suggests suggests that Paul or Jesus had a draconian intent to restrict women's public presence or movements confining them perhaps to a harem of one. Paul is not putting Cretan Christian women under the marital house arrest, but calling them to diligence in and full attention to the ordering of household matters. Remember, just like today, first century Crete was being enticed by the temptation for the women to forsake their God-given roles. And God calls the older women to come and help them. It's interesting that the same Greek word here used, Oikorgos, in, in other Greek texts outside the Bible, it's always, it's always used to praise the women. We don't like the word domestic, but it's the idea of, of a woman who takes care of the domestic duties of the home. It's always used to praise women. And when it refers to men, it's always... In a negative way. So if a man fleed the war, he would be called oikergos. Why? Because he should be in battle, but he's actually taking care of the home. He should be in war. He should be doing what God called him to do instead of being at home. So when he re- used for man, it's always in a negative way. So I believe that Paul is commanding the older godly women to help the younger women to overcome the world's temptation, the rise to entice women to find their identity in lies outside God's revealed will. The older and godly women in the church are to encourage the younger ones who are married with kids to understand that God wants the Christian mothers to see their homes as their headquarters. Think about what a headquarter is. The headquarter is the place from which a commander performs the functions, the administrative center of his role. So that's why we should see God giving women the home, those who are married with kids, the home as their palace. Not a concentration camp. Your home must be the main place from where all else will flow. I like what Martha P. says. She says, God has always intended for the home to be the wife's domain. And it is. Ask Rachel. She hates when I come to the kitchen and try to do things in the kitchen because that's her office. (laughs) The upstairs is hers. God has always intended for the home to be the wife's domain. Common sense would dictate that the younger women, for the most part, would have to be at home to accomplish this objective well. Martha Peace, she goes on to say that to be a worker at home implies the diligence of keeping the home organized with an atmosphere of joy and peace instead of chaos. That's what it means to be euchargaos. You're working in your home to glorify God in a way that brings order to your home. The home is supposed to reflect the church. Titus 1 5, to be organized. And you cannot achieve this by being away from the home for a long period of time. Amen? But there is also another aspect that I want to speak here because it's tempting for some Christians to think that just by being what we call a staying-home wife, staying-home mother, you are obeying the Lord's commandment. And that's not true. Because there are many women who stay at home, they're staying home wives, but they're actually never there. Maybe they are inside the home, but their hearts and their minds are far away from the home. So some women, self-righteously, think that they're so good because they stay at home. But actually their hearts, their minds, their eyes are everywhere. Most of the time, they're actually inside other people's homes through social media. They're all over the United States. They're all over the homes abroad, even though their bodies are inside their home. In Proverbs 31, we see wisdom personified as a woman. A wife, a mother. And even though the woman is married and her husband provides for her, you see that she works hard. Proverbs 31 shows the picture of wisdom as a woman who she has a husband who provides for her. The husband is praising the gates of the city. He's a godly man, and yet she works very hard. Teaching kings. Remember the Proverbs especially for kings teaching kings that even kings, when they're going marry, to they marry, they must marry women who are oikorgoths, work hard to glorify the Lord in their homes. So, the question is not, can I work outside the home as a wife and mother? I don't think that's the main question. Here are some questions for us to think. Why would I work outside the home as a mom with children? Why am I working outside the home? Am I trying to find my identity somewhere else? Am I trying to run away from the responsibilities that God has given me? How can I work outside the home and fulfill this biblical command? I have here. Can I give myself to working? Those are questions that we need to ask. You you need to ask and think through. Can I give myself to working 20, 30, 40 hours outside the home and still excel in my duties of taking care of my home in a way that honors the Lord? Are we, me and my Here's the wife asking me and my husband, seeking the American dream of having more stuff and more comfort. Elizabeth Elliot, here's for us to think through. Elizabeth Elliot, she wrote an article from Ligonier. She says, when speaking to a group of pastor's wives, I learned that 80% of them were working full time outside the home. I was shocked. Is it wrong for a pastor's wife or any other wife to have a job? She says, there is another question that should be asked first. Has God said anything about women's work? And she says, the consensus among Christians seems to be that careers for women are not only permissible, but to be encouraged. If we take, if we take a careful look at the scriptural list of womanly responsibilities... We may ask whether there is time to do those things which are clearly the will of God when we have set for ourselves so ambitious an agenda. Let me tell you that the greatest investment that you can achieve is by investing in your family. The reason that our society is the way it is is because we have rejected God's ways. The greatest profit. That godly woman will make the major earnings, the most lucrative, in a kingdom way, is by obeying the Lord Jesus. And you see that Paul is not addressing single women. And that's a problem that we have. We are so selfish. So Paul is not talking about single women so he can get offended. Ah, He just talked about married women. How about the single women? What about the single women? My personal encouragement is work hard, study hard, go for it. But make sure that you're, first of all, you're not bringing financial debt into your marriage. Because that will affect the marriage. So yes, study hard, but be very careful with the debts that you're creating. Or you're single. Also make sure that you hold your career loosely. Do not be attached to your career or job in such a way that you can only find your identity and satisfaction with your job. Because you're going to have a hard time once you get married and have kids. Remember that God has not given you his special revelation saying that you must be a nurse, a teacher, a doctor, an attorney. But He has given you His special revelation as to the priority of taking care of the home. Amen? God has not given His special revelation to you saying, Here is why you must be a doctor. But He has given you His special revelation as why you must be. Oikorgos. Working hard in your home to glorify the Lord. There is a word for the man also. There is a message for the man here. First, the single man. Single man should make sure that the women they're going to be pursuing to be married with will be women who are willing to submit to God's commandments. I know someone very, very well who was engaged to a woman. They're about to get married and when they Premarital counseling, found out that the woman did not want to have babies, take care of the home, but that she actually wants to pursue her career, because she spent a lot of money in school, and that was her goal. He broke up the relationship, wisely so. I also make sure, man, that you are not bringing financial debt into your marriage. You do not want to have your wife work in different jobs in order to pay your debt. Amen. I want to encourage the single man to work hard while you're single. Train yourself. Learn to work hard because once you get married, that's just going to multiply <laughs> times two, three, four, five as you go have kids. So learn to work hard while you're single because once you get married. Is just going to increase. <laughs> Second, godly men should encourage their wives to work hard for the glory of Christ at their home. Let the men work two or more jobs if needed. Sadly, I know a great number of men in our culture that they actually stay at home while the wives go and work. Because the wives are making more money. And they stay at home and they take care of the kids. We goes man. <laughs> not very mainly, according to the scriptures. And, then, and of course we understand there are seasons in, in life. There are different seasons and, and situations where God brings things. Uh, but when you create that a lifestyle, that's not good. I remember when we were in Brazil, always broke, no money. And Rachel, as an American, perfect English, many job offers for her to work in companies and make good money because she knew English and Portuguese. Besides that, excellent work ethics. And we chose the path of having her taking care of home, taking care of the kids, Always having the house ready for hospitality. Of course, she did her things. She worked. She made cookies. She would sell cookies. Taught English at home. Sold all sorts of things. I have worked many seasons in my life. Maybe two full-time jobs and a part-time job. Because that's all we believe. So the godly man is working hard in order to enable his wife to take care of the home. And the husband and the wife work together. And the wife, the wife must be wise with the money that the husband is making. Suddenly some women, they are enslaved to the credit card. And they're buying, buying, buying. And suddenly the husband, poor guy, he needs to keep working, working, working. Because the wife doesn't have self-control. How sad it is for you to have your little ones being raised by child care providers and the first words that they're going to learn is not mommy or daddy, but the name of a stranger who takes care of them. As I say, there are times, there are seasons in our lives, but when that becomes a pattern, and that's what we have been seeing taking place in our culture, that's a departure from what God has for us. So I want to remind you that God is not calling women simply to be stay-at-home wives. There are many stay-at-home wives who dishonor the Lord, did not bring glory to God because they do not work hard in their homes. And your home will, re- will reflect whether you are being oikorgos. W- Paul is commanding, if you can summarize here, Paul is commanding the mothers, let me go back here. Jump this one. Paul is commanding the mothers to be gods. They must work in such a way in their homes that the home becomes a lovely, attractive, godly, joyful, and a welcome a welcoming place for their families and others who are coming to your home. Gerald Bray he says, For Paul, the home had to be a place of welcome, a showcase of what the Christian life was all about. And in some undefined sense, a foretaste of heaven. Sisters, see your home like that, a foretaste of heaven. And that will change completely the idea of a concentration camp. A foretaste of heaven. It was the job of the women to ensure this. And when we appreciate the many dimensions of their calling, we realize just how important their ministry was in the life of the church as a whole. How different it would be if the Christian wives and mothers saw their homes as Christ's heavenly little embassies. That's a little embassy of heaven. And to see their goal as making their home a lovely place where Christ and his gospel are treasured, proclaimed, demonstrated. So the home is not a concentration camp. It's actually a beautiful place that God has instituted for you to be more like Christ and proclaim Christ in that place. And that doesn't happen by osmosis. Amen? That's why they need to work And the husbands must come alongside to help. So, conclusion, we begin our sermon talking about the black box warning. And the silence in this place tells me that it was a heavy medicine today. (laughs) We saw that the medicine can be excellent. But our precondition can cause the good medicine to bring serious, life-threatening side effects. And my prayer is that the Word of God this morning, instead of bringing anger, creating a hostile mindset, we will actually bring joy. That the burden of your shoulders will be lifted up to see what Christ has for you always calling all of us, and in particular the Christian women, to find their identity in Christ. Your identity must be found in Christ Jesus. We were singing earlier here, my worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame, but in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross. That's where your identity must be. And let me tell you, we're going to finish here soon, Almost done. But let me tell you, there are two extremes in the church, among the women in the church. The first is the the women who find their identity at their work. And their work is everything. And if they lose their work and their career, that's depression. God is mean. The gospel is not good news. Because the work, the career, became their identity. And that cannot be. The other extreme that we see is where women is, is as idolatrous as the first one, as women actually start finding their identity in the home and in the family. You cannot have your identity in the home and in the family. God does not call you to have your identity in the home and in the family, but in Christ. Because what happens when your kids die? You have to sell your home. You need to move to a village in Africa. So there are two extremes. They're idolatrous. So I ask you, dear sisters, to let Christ control your lives. Those sisters here who are married with a family, children, make sure that you're working hard. You're working hard to obey the Lord in this commandment. There are so many other things involved they could be talking about. Well, what if, what if, what if? Let's talk about what truly is important here. God is calling all the young, godly women who are in a covenant with a husband, with a family, to prioritize their home. The priority of your life is the home. A chaotic home will not reflect the gospel. And your home is supposed to be an evangelistic embassy, as you're going to see next Sunday. And remember that Christ has invaded your life. Christ has invaded your life, and he's able and willing to help you. So what Paul is saying here is that our identity, the identity of the woman, cannot be found anywhere else but in Christ alone. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, we humble ourselves before your word, and I pray, O oh Lord, the uh, things that I said here the are not in accordance with sound doctrine, that you'd have mercy on this congregation, and the things that were spoken here, the accord with sound doctrine, that we we'll, would we'll take to heart. Help us to embrace your truth. Your truth is liberating, gives us joy, So please, Lord, help us. I pray for the godly women in this church. That they would grow in these virtues that we have been looking at. And many of these virtues apply to men also. Self-control, purity, humility. Help all of us, Lord, to embrace the gospel and let the gospel adorn our lives. We want to bring glory to you, Lord, so help us. I know that's a, a hard subject, and I pray that your good medicine would bring a great joy to our hearts. Help us to be discerning good biryans for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen, amen.